You're tuned to The Conversation here on Hawaii Public Radio. I'm Catherine Cruz. A week after the devastating wildfires on Maui, the federal response has widened as it has become clear that county and state resources are tapped trying to keep down brush fires while dealing with the search and recovery efforts. Just within the hour, officials at a news conference in our nation's capital outlined some of the additional support that's being provided. We start off with Jonathan Green, Deputy Assistant Secretary of Response with the Department of Health and Human Services. We are doing all we can to assist Hawaii officials with responding to the health impacts of the wildfires, and we're working closely with state and local health authorities and with our partners across the federal government. Last week, HHS Secretary Javier Becerra declared a public health emergency for the state of Hawaii to address the health impacts of the wildfires, and we began deploying highly trained disaster response personnel from the National Disaster Medical System to Hawaii. Today, I am announcing that we have deployed additional experts from the National Disaster Medical Systems Disaster Mortuary Operational Response Team and a Victim Identification Center Team to Hawaii to augment state and local mortuary resources in the wildfire response. The personnel from ASPR's mortuary and victim identification teams bring the total number of deployed emergency response experts from HHS to 75. The mortuary response team called DMORTs are composed of experts from various disciplines who can assist local authorities in managing the deceased remains. The teams who deploy to Hawaii, including coroners, pathologists, x-ray technicians, and lab technicians, to name a few. Victim identification teams will support the family assistance site at the Maui Community Center. A few hours ago, one of our disaster portable morgue units landed in Hawaii. The unit consists of approximately 22 and a half tons of supplies and equipment needed for victim identification and processing remains, such as mortuary examination tables, x-ray units, and laboratory equipment. Working closely with state and local officials, we stand ready to provide additional support as needed. The deadly wildfires have impacted the people of Hawaii, have brought untold destruction and loss to the island. We are and remain committed to supporting them during this difficult time. Thank you. At a news briefing yesterday afternoon, Governor Josh Green talked about the tough times ahead. Officials hope to complete surveying the town for victims by this weekend. Over a million pounds of food has been delivered and supplies such as food, water, diapers, baby formula are going out. Chad Buck's been one of our heroes doing this. Also, a coordinated donation center has gone into place courtesy of Lieutenant Governor. We'd like to tell people if they would like to continue to support Of course, we appreciate any generosities. Most important right now are resources, financial resources, through Hawaii Community Foundation, Red Cross, and so on. You've heard many times how important that's going to be for our uh, surviving families. So in addition to that food and tens of thousands of pounds of ice, for example, 57,000 pounds of ice that was delivered, we've begun much of the recovery for people in their daily lives. The things that you need to do now. If you are displaced from your job, you need to talk to the Department of Labor and Industrial uh, Relations. We have a UI, that's Unemployment Insurance Call Center. It's open 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. Please do that so you can get benefits to hopefully get yourself some resources right away. We also, I talked about the donations, but we have multiple uh, ways to get people into housing now. In just the last uh, two days, we've secured the following, 402 hotel rooms now available to immediately put people who have been displaced into a hotel room for their family. Starting tomorrow, 1,400 units from Airbnb will be available. Another 160 citizens have stepped up with HHFDC to provide their houses to be shared. So it's just under 2,000 housing units are now available so we can get people sheltered. We signed a contract today with the Red Cross. We're grateful to them for their expertise. They'll be in partnership with us, FEMA, and the county to make sure everyone gets housed. If you have not been at one of the shelters, you'll go to Red Cross and you'll sign up there. These services, this shelter, these rooms will be free to people, and the resources will be covered through our disaster relief, through FEMA, through the state, through grants, Hawaii Community Foundation grants included. All of that's critically important. We've already placed 220 families into housing. And so you can see that the shelters are starting, starting to empty out. 
We're trying to be careful because there's a lot of needs that are also being met at those shelters, mental health care needs, people getting wounds uh, taken care of. But at all these houses and apartments, hotel rooms, we'll be providing wraparound services so that we want people to know about. We already anticipate at least 36 weeks of direct housing for individuals. It will probably go on much longer than that, just so people know. But we don't want people to think that they're going to get housed and suddenly be asked to leave. It'll be in 30-day increments, which will be constantly re-upped, so people will get housed. As I shared earlier, the scale of destruction is incredible, so our hearts are broken even a little bit more than when we were together 48 hours ago with the extra fatalities. Also, you know that we're well over 2,200 structures that have been destroyed. 86% of them are residential. The disaster relief is here. You saw FEMA, you saw Small Business Association, You've seen the outpouring of support. What I can tell you is this, it's gonna take time. It's gonna take a lot of time. As they go through all of the territories in Lahaina, they have to be very careful, very careful not to disrupt any of the homes there. So for those people who have walked into Lahaina because they really wanted to see, know that they are very likely walking on Evie, as the chief of police said the other day. That's why we're being so careful. We'll address other questions about how to drive in, how to get through. We know that it's frustrating, but this pace will accelerate. We'll go from stage zero, as the mayor and I discussed right before we came in here. Stage zero is getting through all of the properties where those who have passed are. When we get out of that, we'll be able to open the road completely. We'll be able to make everything a lot easier. So in the coming days, uh, we'll continue to give you these comprehensive updates. I want you to know we've also signed some additional emergency proclamations so that we can get other services to people, the most recent of which is to get health care for individuals. So a proclamation has been signed now by me so that people can get longer periods of their medications if they need them. We've also allowed outside providers, uh, physicians and nurses from outside the state to have licenses here in Hawaii and to practice. We'll be bringing hundreds and hundreds of mental health care workers into the state in partnership, not just with Red Cross, but all of our services at the state and county, because that's where a lot of the suffering is gonna be. It's going to be mental health care needs that we need most. The disaster is also tapping military resources. U.S. Army Brigadier General Steve Logan talked about how the National Guard assets are being deployed. We're up to a combined strength of 254 people. Let me talk a little bit about the uh, dual status command headquarters that I now command. It's comprised of Army National Guard, Air National Guard, and active army soldiers and airmen that all came together. Traditionally, we wouldn't be working together like this, but because of my unique status, uh, being appointed by the Secretary of Defense, I'm able to command and control these forces so that we can have or achieve what we call unity of effort. Each organization has unique capabilities, and this enables me to draw back to what's either on Oahu or in the rest of the Army, Navy, Air Force, or Marines, and through a process, bring those assets here so of the 254 soldiers, airmen uh, that, that we have here, many of them are involved in the security operations in support of the chief of police. Most of that is either at a shelter center or at the impact zone of Lahaina to help facilitate the recovery through this phase. Another, another bunch of those folks, about 47 of them, are specially trained in that fatality search and recovery effort. So they're, so they're intertwined with the uh, FEMA folks, with all the folks that are doing that. And they're participating in that in, in that hard emotional type work. So that's what we've done in the last 24 hours. In the next 24 hours, we're going to bring forth another security team that's going to fly in tomorrow. And we have plans to bring another one in on top of that. And this is to further enforce the, uh, the, uh, the, the entry into the uh, impact zone so that that work can go un, unheated and, and, and unimpeded. Uh, uh, tomorrow, we're going to get a visit by the commander of the uh, United States Army Pacific General Charles Flynn, the uh, Adjutant General of the State of Hawaii, who you normally see at this podium, uh, Major General Ken Har, who's also been designated by the Governor, Governor Green, as the Incident Commander, and, mo and a lot of his staff. And, 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 and the effort is going to be to come meet with Mayor, Mayor Bisson, get his eyes on, and basically show that, that, that he's all behind this effort. Him and his team are constantly trying to look for ways to put more assets, capabilities into the County of Maui, and we welcome him tomorrow. 
And Hawaiian Electric officials were also on hand for that news briefing yesterday. The company is under fire with the first lawsuits filed on behalf of victims' families. The company's stock plunged today. Here's HECO's uh, CEO, Shelly Kimura. In the aftermath of the windstorms and fires, we immediately began to work with state and county agencies to assist with the clearing of debris and ensuring the safety of first responders. When weather and fire conditions made it safe to proceed on Thursday, we began our damage assessment, which included using helicopters and teams on the ground in vehicles and on foot on challenging terrain to determine the scope of the damage to our system. <coughs> it was clear that our system that serves 12,000 West Maui customers had been severely damaged. All three transmission lines that go over serving West Maui were out of service. A day after inspecting the lines, our crews were able to restore almost half of all customers who had lost power. Hawaiian Electric worked closely with state and county emergency management teams who prioritized critical circuits for restoration, including those serving stores, pharmacies, gas stations, county water, wastewater, and public safety facilities. That's where we focused our work so that people would be able to get groceries, clean water, medicine, fuel, and other essential life needs. On Saturday, we brought back circuits serving hotels and resorts along the Ka'anapali coast, making those places available for housing and many people displaced by the fires who are living in emergency shelters. Even outside Lahaina, there's significant damage to the electric system. This is in West Maui. The repairs we've made to restore power to critical facilities is temporary. There's a lot of work that still needs to be done. By the end of the day today, we're targeting to have power restored to about 80% of the customers affected. And this doesn't include the homes and businesses that were in Lahaina. Of the 12,400 customers who lost power during the windstorms and fires in West Maui, we have restored all but about 2,000. This doesn't include an estimated 2,200 homes and businesses that were destroyed. Today, we safely energized the Lahaina Civic Center and neighboring areas, and we're working to use a mobile substation to bring additional customers online. We're working with Maui County and other agencies to set up community resource and information centers in West Maui to provide in-person assistance and information to residents. Right now, there's roughly 400 Hawaiian Electric employees from across all the islands we serve. In addition, we have numerous contractors from Hawaii and the continent focused on working safely to restore power, repair damage, and support communities and our employees. We've shipped 26 specialized vehicles and pieces of heavy equipment from Oahu and more equipment and more people are on the way. This progress is due to the unwavering commitment by our employees, first responders, and many others on Maui, working under almost unimaginable conditions, and many of them suffering personal loss themselves, but are still on the job, working to rebuild and support Maui and their friends and families in the community. This isn't just about getting the power back on for us, and for all of us. It's about providing support and most important, hope to those who have lost family and friends, who have been left without homes and who are experiencing almost un inconceivable grief. Hawaiian Electric is committed to being here for our Maui Ohana and for all of the community, no matter how long it takes. Mahalo. That was One Electric CEO Shelly Kimura uh, talking at a news conference yesterday about the restoration efforts underway in Lahaina.
I'm Carolyn Beeler. Next time on The World, police crack down on climate activists. You have 60 seconds to comply with these conditions. If you fail to comply, you'll be liable to arrest. In Europe, law enforcement is turning to wiretapping and surveillance. Tough new laws for those calling for climate action. That's on The World. Beginning this afternoon at 1. Support for HPR comes from the Arne and Ruth Werchick Charitable Fund. Learn more about the Arne and Ruth Werchick Masters of Library and Information Science Scholarship awarded annually by Friends of the Library's Kona at folkhawaii.com. Civil Beat brings us a troubling reality check. Water rights are nothing new on Maui, but its lead story today raises questions about the Water Commission and whether an ask to release more water to help during the wildfires was delayed. Did it make a difference in what happened? Uh, joining us this morning, Chad Blair on the line. Good morning, Chad. Good morning, Catherine. So this is a story by Stuart Yurton. Yes, and um, he's our business reporter, Thomas Heaton, who covers agriculture and other issues, also contributed but Stewart got the scoop, and this is uh, according to four sources that were granted anonymity so that they could talk about events that they were knowledgeable about. And this is it's hard to believe it was a week ago, but on August the 8th, uh, water was indeed uh, delayed release from the Department of Land and Natural Resources, even though there was a request from residential and, and property other property owners uh, in the area to have that extra water. Uh, the fires were raging. They wanted to use the water, obviously, to protect the property. Um, it, but it's, it turned out to be a bit of a standoff for much of the day. And this involves the Department of Land and Natural Resources, but, but also West Maui Land Company. And West Maui Land uh, also represents four area water companies, including an irrigation company. And so, you know, the request came in, what, then for additional water to be diverted to help with the fires? Right, and this, uh, the person who had that authority, Kaleo Manuel, who did not return Stewart's uh, calls uh, to comment on the story, uh, he is DLNR's deputy director for water resource management. He, he uh, balked initially to, to release that water. Apparently, according to these sources, he wanted uh, water, West Maui land to get permission from taro farmers, hollow farmers downstream, uh, to allow that to happen, uh, even as the fires continue to spread, um, water West Maui land does manage a number of agricultural and residential subdivisions in the area. It took some time; we're not clear how long for the issue to re- be resolved. Water eventually was released by DLNR, uh, but we don't know how much damage had been done at that point. How much uh, more property could have been saved had there been? more water. There's a lot of questions yet to be answered. I should also say, in addition to Kaleo Manuel, uh, Stewart did not hear back uh, from the Department of Land and Natural Resources. And even though West Maui Land is aware of the issue, they they didn't comment either. Seems fairly certain that we're going to have a follow-up, that there will be questions raised in the days ahead. A lot of things to be answered. Right. And, uh, you know, we saw the uh, state attorney general and Lopez put out an announcement last week that they were going to have a comprehensive review over, you know, the timeline of what happened. What did we know? What did we do? Yes. And that came up at the press conference yesterday afternoon in Wailuku with Governor Green and Mayor Bisson and others. The governor did not comment directly on uh, this issue regarding West Maui land and the DLNR. But he did say, look, we've had water conflicts for decades, really, over a century, and it's not just in West Maui. It also includes East Maui. It often involves taro farmers versus big businesses, plantations. You'll remember Alexander and Baldwin heavily involved in the East Maui issues. Uh, the governor did say that uh, the root causes go to this history, uh, and we also have to include the issue of climate change, although we're still trying to figure out exactly how the fire was sparked. I think everybody's in wide agreement. There's been a lot of drought in the area, and uh, the drought seems to be attributable, more than seems, uh, to uh, climate changes over the last few decades, El Nino, La Nina, and so forth. So 
the governor saying, the governor actually said, this is a good story for media uh, to explore, to find out what they can. Yes, uh, when I saw that uh, at that news conference yesterday that we were monitoring, I was like, wow, there's something there. Yeah, one other thing that that, uh, Thomas uncovered for the story is that there was legislation uh, last year in the 2022 uh, legislative session, and it came from two Maui senators, Gil Keith Agaron and Lynn DeCoy, and they actually wanted to push DLNR, this bill, to, to, you know, give them, if you will, permission to use water uh, for these kinds of emergencies. They mentioned specifically in the bill a fire risk in West Maui. Um, the bill died. It did not advance. I would imagine there's going to be any number of similar issues uh, at the session that starts in January, and still no word on whether there'll be a special session. Uh, I'm thinking more and more, it seems likely, but we've not yet heard anything from the Senate and House leaders in that regard. Yeah, well, uh, it certainly sounds like there's certainly more to uncover in this, uh, uh, you know, back and forth, the the standoff uh, uh, during that day. Well, we'll be reporting as much as we can, and and thanks for uh, sharing our report on the conversation. All right. Thank you so much, Chad. Thanks, Pat. That was editor Chad Blair with today's Reality Check. You can read Stuart Yurton's story online at civilbeat.org. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Mobi, a Hawaii wireless company since 2005, featuring a locally-based customer care team committed to problem-solving and personal service for each client. Learn more at Mobi.com. Much of the focus on the impacts of the recent wildfires on Maui have been on property and structures lost and the immediate physical needs of the survivors, but it's also important to address the psychological needs of those impacted during times like these. The Hawaii Department of Health is offering crisis mental health services to those experiencing emotional or psychological distress as a result of the fires. The Conversations Russell Subiano talked with John Oliver, the Maui Program Manager for DOH's Adult Mental Health Division, about why these services are needed. We know with disasters and crises such as this, that they will have both short-term and long-term effects on survivors and really the community overall as far as witnessing the tragedy. So, I mean, for that reason, you know, we definitely need to have crisis mental health services as far as to help with, with acute needs right now and to prepare uh, potentially for intermediate and long-term support for those that have experienced this trauma. What are some of the things that they might be going through? What are the signs that, that people should be looking for? Individuals are, you know, they're, they're processing still, and as well as you have families who have keiki who are, who are, you know, are thinking about them and putting on very face. And so they're, they're meeting that first, but I think that once that they have their need, their immediate needs met physically, they will probably be experiencing different symptoms. If they do, it could be depression, suicidal thoughts, nightmares. You might see like more kind of anger or aggressive behaviors, just frustration, and could lead to alcohol or even sort of substance use. So I think it's you know feeling isolated, feeling alone, just feeling despondent, and just really want to urge that if anyone is feeling that way or if their loved ones are, it's super important to really reach out right away because a treatment really is most effective early on. So as far as to be the most effective, it will be effective, but it has the greatest results when, when it's addressed at the early onset. I know there's a lot of very strong people there in Maui. The strength, you know, I think kind of permeates our, our culture and, and we want to be there for our families and we want to be strong. But I'm wondering if there are long-term psychological impacts that survivors may encounter if they don't seek out assistance for the distress they feel now. What are some of the long-term effects that, that someone might encounter if, if they don't find a way to process this trauma? They could lead to depression. It could lead to uh, anxiety disorders. You know, it could also 
in order to sort of to deal with what they're going through, it could lead to if you have a tendency to go to alcohol or to opioids or sub or any kind of substance use or medications, anything like that, it, to help sort of to, to deal with that. And so, I mean, it's important to recognize it what it is, and you know, and it's okay to have that. It's it's totally normal, and it's it's to be expected. And you know, honestly, we we were, you're right. We are a very strong community, and. I'm also I'm the project director for the AANHPI, Asian American Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander uh, Center of Excellence. And one thing that we really work on is reducing behavioral health disparities. And when we look at our populations here, I mean, Asian Americans are one of the least likely to utilize mental health services in the country. And at almost approximately 90% do not. So there's a certain stigma to mental health that we are working as far as to reduce. And, and, you know, as the most diverse state in the country, as far as population and with the most significant numbers of Asian Americans, Native Hawaiians and Pacific Islanders, we, we need to sort of recognize that as well to even be more alert and really advocate for services. What are some of the services that are being offered by the department of health and how can survivors engage with them right so services that we have we have mental health counseling so working one-on-one with the therapist and with privacy and discretion and so and safety and feeling safe as well as we have trauma processing which is similar with the therapist and sort of processing the trauma and going through it and helping to sort of see a path through it and forward there's also psychiatric services which which are, could be needed at this time and we also have resource guidance so we have case managers who are very trained and know our local community as far as so if individuals do need help with, with identifying resources for their health and they can help be a, a navigator and guide them. So, yeah, there's many different avenues and really we're just trying to make them as accessible as possible for individuals and in, for the individuals that have lost their homes as well as for the for the other individuals who have loved ones who are also experiencing trauma as far as seeing what their family members are going through. There's, there's many different levels. And for somebody who is listening and say they, they think to themselves, okay, this, this sounds like it's important that I need to do this, but I don't want anybody to know that I'm doing it. You know, I don't want my family to see me in this state. How are they able to safeguard their identity or you know, be able to do this in a way where they can kind of keep it anonymous or confidential? There's several different ways. One way is to dial 988, which is, that's the new 911, but for mental health. And that will direct them to a local crisis counselor who can talk to them right then and there. So that's, it's a very immediate and it is absolutely confidential. And it's also important to note that individuals who are 14 and older actually do do not require parental consent to talk to a mental health professional. So that could include teenagers as well who don't want, for whatever reason, do not right now feel comfortable talking with their family members and would rather be anonymous as far as that goes. You know, that's that's one way. But, you know, we also have our clinics and uh, we, we, of course, have our, our clinic in Guadalupe, but we also have behavioral health professionals that are operating out of the Lahaina Comprehensive Health Center here. And so, you know, they're available on hand. And so they can call and talk to somebody and, you know, they can do assessment, they can do telehealth. So there's many ways. And so, you know, it, it just depends what the comfort level is. But you know, it's definitely, as any, any type of support is, is certainly better than no support. And definitely you should reach out. And our services just for survivors, just those that maybe lost a home or, or were injured or, or lost a family member. I imagine there are many people outside of West Maui or outside of the, of Maui that have experienced some level of trauma from last week's events. Right. And so for those individuals, I mean, it's of course, the first is to go to your healthcare provider who you, if, yet if you have one and to, to seek their support as far as if they have different counselors and if, for whatever reason, they are not able to, to do so, they could also reach out to us as well. So here on Maui, we're actually piloting Hawaii's first certified community behavioral health clinic, which is CCBHC, that allows us to actually see individuals with any type of insurance as, as well as without insurance. And for those that can't afford 
we we could we also have a sliding scale where services could be free if you qualify. So I guess my my answer to that would just be to first reach out to you know your own provider, and then the secondly would be you know if you if there's a long wait and that you can't you know you don't want to wait, then to reach out to us and we will either see or help connect. And I know that the Department of Health isn't the only organization offering mental health services. Are there any others that that are trustworthy that that people might be able to you know if they come across uh, another service being offered how would they know if it's trustworthy we do see that and you know i, I think it's always with best intentions we have a, many many individuals that, that are just reaching out and say hey i have services i can do this you can do that and you know but it is being coordinated through our, our governor's office and the office of wellness and resilience and so they are trying to to vet the different individuals and providers who are coming forward and wanting to volunteer but I mean, I would also, I would honestly say I would probably reach out to the providers that they have first, and as far as and if not, then to reach out to us, and we can help connect to other providers in the community as well. John, is there anything else that you want to share with the listeners that we haven't covered? So I mean, I I just wanted to highlight like what you said. You know, Maui is a very independent and very you know close knit community, and so you know, we have much support here as far as for individuals it's it's just making sure people are aware of it and you know and also to remember the first responders and those that have also been experiencing extreme trauma as far as for what they have gone through you know this past week now so and and lastly i guess to also for parents really to watch your geeky and to really really kind of see how they are doing i know for Myself, and firsthand, my, my daughter, she was inconsolable and she was in tears because she saw so much on social media, you know, what links were sent from her friends and, you know, a lot of different footage. It's, it's very difficult for developing minds to process. So, you know, really just going to watch, watch Kiki as well as, as they're just starting the school year and just to make sure they feel supported and talk about it. I mean, it's important for I think, parents to talk about it with their Kiki. John Oliver, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate you talking to us about how people can get services during this time. All right. Thank you, Russell. Mahalo. That was uh, State Health Department's John Oliver talking with HPR's Russell Subiono about the free crisis mental health services now available to those impacted in the aftermath of the Maui wildfires. We'll have a link to more information on the conversation page of our website later today. Support for HPR comes from Green Building Hawaii, providing energy and sustainability consulting services throughout the islands, specializing in residential and commercial building projects. Learn more about services at greenbuildinghawaii.com. Some 15% of mothers at some point grapple with postpartum depression. We still have this lovely idea that you have your baby, it's the greatest day of your life, and then you're so happy to be home and with the baby and bonding and as a family. And in reality, there's a lot of competing demands. Now, a new pill plus growing efforts by doctors are bringing those mothers hope. I'm Deborah Becker. That's on the next On Point. Beginning this afternoon at 2, following the daily. Support for HPR comes from Hawaii Theater, presenting Taimane's Hawaiiki, a musical and theatrical odyssey featuring song, dance, costume, and spoken word, August 25th. Tickets at hawaiitheater.com. Stories about the fire victims fleeing for their lives have been trickling out. There are still hundreds of people still unaccounted for. Families who fled are being urged to check in with the Family Disaster Center on Maui that has been set up and to provide DNA samples to help in identifying the dead. Social media posts are sharing pictures of lives lost in searches for people who were last known to be in Lahaina. One I saw was about a homeless woman whose mother, living on the mainland, was appealing for any information about her daughter. 
Maui now has an online spreadsheet that gives us a glimpse of who lived in Lahaina Town. Officials are asking families who fled the area to please check in with the Red Cross, which is helping to find and connect those who are unaccounted for with their families and friends. Thousands of calls have come in since last week. Several hundred people have been located, but there are still hundreds whose whereabouts are unknown. We talked with Matthew Wells, communications manager uh, from the Hawaii Red Cross chapter, handling the Maui wildfire disaster response. Check in at any of the Red Cross shelters that we have open. Even if you're not staying with us overnight, we still encourage you to come by and check in. That's a very important part because once we have that information, we're able to use that for all of the requests that are coming into us. When family members say, I'm looking for whoever that may be, aunties, uncles, brothers, sisters, all of it. And that could be from the East Coast or just down the street. All of the thousands of calls are coming in with these requests. So what we're looking to do is get as much information from the people in the shelters and the people in Maui that are checking in with us as possible. That way we can help coordinate those calls and those requests and we can mark people off as safe. If you're looking for someone, we really recommend that you call 1-800-RED-CROSS. That's 1-800-733-2767. Option number four is going to be for the Hawaii wildfires. Just make sure that you're ready to assist us with giving as much information as possible about who you're looking for. Okay, so those lines are being manned then uh, at a center? Yes, and we actually have volunteers across the country that are taking those phone calls, and we have a growing team of people that are here and dedicated to reunification. Can you give us any general numbers? I mean, it's been a week now, so uh, how many people are still missing, do we know, or unaccounted for? As far as the sheer number of people, that that number is always in flux, so I don't have that exact number for you. I know that we have, over the course of the last several days, received thousands of calls and requests. And we have responded. We have responded to as many as we can. Of course, from the flood of uh, calls that are incoming, we are working around the clock to return those phone calls so that we can reconnect people. And I've heard a, a number of stories, you know, about the, the missing. And one tip that I heard that was being circulated is they were telling folks, "Hey, change the message machine on your cell phone just to let folks know, so that if they call the number, you don't have to answer it, but at least they know you're." you're okay and you're, you know, either at this church or or some emergency shelter. So some good information is going out. That is fantastic information. I mean, of course, we always we always want people to check in. But hey, whatever it takes to make sure that your family and loved ones know that you're safe. That's a brilliant idea. Yeah, I, I thought that was wonderful. I mean, I know, you know, in trying to get information about people that I know there on Maui, uh, I didn't want to overload the circuits and, you know, waited mm-hmm. to hear directly from family members, hey, what's the latest? And they said, oh, they texted, they're fine, they had to evacuate. But, you know, just knowing that you're not compounding the problem by trying to call around when the service is impacted is another thing. Yeah. Text is always a great way to get in touch with people. Um, it does free up much more of the bandwidth, but we, of course, are looking for information. And if you are capable of making that phone call to 1-800-RED-CROSS, please do so. We also have our emergency app, if anyone can uh, download that. I understand that there's so little signal right now that it's difficult. It's, and I don't, don't want to come off as sounding like un, unaware of that hardship of trying to get that level of connectivity. So that's why we recommend that people actually go up and face-to-face register in at one of the shelters because that is the best way for us to check in with somebody. And again, it doesn't require anybody staying overnight with us or anything like that, but if they step up, they could say anything like, I just need somebody to talk to. We'll make sure they get that. If they come up and say, I need medication, I need a doctor, we're going to make sure they get that as well. And we've been hearing uh, calls about, you know, needing DNA to identify uh, people uh, who have been lost in the fire. Are you folks helping to coordinate any of that? That's actually not part of our scope. However, um, if we need to point people in those right directions, we will do our best for anyone who uh, shows up at the shelter. What else would be some good information to pass along to our listeners? Really, the best thing that can be done is to 
be ready to be boots on the ground yourself. I mean, it, it really is going to be one of those things where it's it's the entire community that's going to step forward and help rebuild the community that we lost or that we took damage to. So what's happening is that everyone's going to play their part. And for the Red Cross, we're here to deal with money and manpower so that people can get the services and the goods that they need, that they specifically need for their individual situation. And we're going to try and return some control and measure of power to their own lives so that they can start to rebuild. And we know that uh, you were putting the word out early when we talked to you folks last week about, you know, don't drop over a whole bunch of donations because you don't have the manpower to process all that. And and we know that that people want to help and they're doing things, but we just need to manage that. Yes, we deal with, again, money and manpower. We want to make sure that uh, the community of relief organizations that are stepping in, that everyone is handling their part. So for goods like that you want to donate, old bedding, kitchen utensils, anything along those lines, we want to make sure that those go to the right people. So yes, we suggest calling 211, finding out where those drop sites are. For us, we deal with the money and the manpower. It is the fastest way to get help to people, and that's what we're concerned with. Okay, all right. And then the focus, obviously, then on uh, finding those people who are unaccounted for and making sure that they're reunited with family or, uh, you know, if if we can verify that uh, they have perished in the fire, that we, we just need to have good information. Exactly. And that information comes by sharing. So the way to do that, come in to one of the shelters and register yourself as safe. All right. Okay. Matthew Wells, thank you so much. We do appreciate your time. Thank you for the opportunity. That was Matthew Wells, Public Affairs Manager for the Maui Wildfire Disaster. Encouraging people to check in with the Red Cross shelters, the resources of the American Red Cross call center uh, being tapped to help with tracking down missing or unaccounted residents or visitors last known to be in Lahaina Town when the blaze tore through the area Tuesday night. Uh, if you're looking for someone, call 1-800-RED-CROSS-733-2767. And option four is for Hawaii wildfires. And just this morning, the Red Cross announced that uh, they do have a center open here on Oahu at the um, Disabled Veterans Hall. Uh, so if, if any residents who flew over from Maui uh, last week early on, you can check in at those places, register, and uh, you know get access to medicines or, or materials that you might need. Uh, We'll have more information available today on our HPR website. Support for HPR comes from Kumu Kahua Theater. Mendoksai explores how someone who is broken may not be able to love in an ordinary way, but may instead love in a most extraordinary way. Opens this Thursday, kumukahua.org. This Saturday, HPR presents Kailana. This in-person event is part of our HPR's Indie 808 Performance Series. Experience this exclusive set at our Atherton studio in Honolulu. Purchase your tickets online at hprtickets.org. Sponsored by Farm Lovers Markets. Support for HPR comes from the Hawaii Community Foundation, committed to an equitable and thriving Hawaii, supporting initiatives such as affordable housing, fresh water, and the healthy development of young children. HawaiiCommunityFoundation.org. You know, last week we featured stories about uh, Hawaii's fledgling craft chocolate industry. We spoke with Maui's Dan O'Doherty about his fears that uh, uh, his company's Lahaina factory and visitor center was lost. He'd been unable to return to Lahaina due to the high winds and restricted access into the Kapalua Airport. He'd feared that the company, uh, Maui Kuia Estate Chocolate, lost its factory in town, and he worried about the fires burning the irrigation system at its farm up Malka. Yeah, we're trying to stay focused on the bright spots that there are. So, yeah, the the factory was kind of buried visibly under a pillar of black smoke, and when that uh, receded, we could see the factory was, was completely intact, which was amazing, but I think more importantly, around that same time, we were able to find out 
where everybody was on our team and that they they all were safe although several people you know did lose their home and all their belongings well when we last talked last week i think you had one worker that had been unaccounted for and that uncertainty not knowing oh that's just torture one of our team members yeah who uh who worked retail and, and the bar but uh but also the owner and ceo was unaccounted for so, oh my goodness uh, those two did emerge and, and have been located and uh are safe you know how did your farm fare so the farm it didn't burn and it, it is protected even if the site around it burned it's happened in, in 2018 once before but wind speeds coursing out of the valley it had even higher than the you know the general Lahaina wind speeds were 65. We, we definitely got 80, maybe even 100 miles an hour. So trees were completely defoliated. Shade trees that sheltered the cacao also blew down. But, you know, the trees are large, and as much as they are sensitive in a general sense, they're really robust, and they regrew when they were five years younger. So it's going to be a hard road ahead of us for pruning and, and restoring and, you know, clearing the broken shade trees but um we have confidence it'll it'll come back you know we'll lose a fall harvest but history has shown that they still did recover a spring harvest the following season so you know again kind of some bright spots there amidst all the darkness well you folks went through a similar thing a few years ago with the fire in the area right yeah that's what i was referring to 2018 the wildfire started below the highway uh jumped over the bypass which is considerable span with the the west winds that was a near miss hurricane with not a drop of rain so that incinerated everything around our farm it burned you know a truck and the greenhouses and things like that but because the entire orchards themselves are surrounded in panax hedgerows uh that intercepted all of the flaming debris that was blowing around so none of the trees or the interior of the fields were burned at all so this was just the opposite right below the bypass caught on fire but the winds were ripping down slopes, so saved from the burn. So somewhat, somewhat better, I suppose, than 2018. Do you have chocolate to sell, product to move? Tell us about how that's all working. Right, so we're very lucky to be not even tied to the grid. So our entire factory is powered by photovoltaic that covers the parking lot, and we have a series of Tesla batteries and a diesel backup generator. So when the owner, Gunners, uh, showed up at the factory walking in several days ago. The AC was on, the lights were on, and, and as you just asked about, the entire inventory uh, is preserved. Nothing melted or was otherwise damaged. That is incredible. Yeah, so we've started a, a bit of a campaign. You know, the company itself donates 100% of its net profits to Maui Nui Charities. And now we are promoting the sale of our inventory with 25% of actually the sale price. So irrespective of, of profitability, that will be donated directly to the Maui relief efforts. And there's been a really good response. We do have insulated mailers and ice packs or gel mm-hmm. packs, but uh, I worry about summer, you know, <laughs> here and summer there. But uh, we do replace or refund if um, people receive melted chocolate. Well, I think they just want to do something to help Maui sure. and to help the recovery. Sure. That's the thing. I understand. I think that's what most of the chocolate sales are right now. And the, the chocolate is kind of a token bonus, right? Yeah. Well, so we do really appreciate that. I, I am just astounded, though, that, uh, you know, because when we talked before, you didn't think that your factory would survive because it did not look good. No. I mean, not only did we not think it survived from the the scene, but uh, I suppose there was quite a bit of misinformation saying a number of local businesses that are our neighbors uh, had burned, and it turned out that that those had not. So, you know, I suppose I was kind of susceptible to some of this misinformation, or otherwise, you know, believed it, because it seemed to be coming from the community. So it's better than we anticipate. Yeah, I mean, at, at one point, I think I absolutely, people were reaching out to me, and I said, you know, everything's gone. Wow, and to find out that it was still standing and your chocolate was all good in the air condition. Right. The problem right now is that we are not allowed to access the site. So FEMA has blocked it off under orders from MEMA, which is the Maui County similar organization. And that's because there's a really nice affordable housing complex across the street from us that uh, was completely leveled. And although we don't have to pass it to access our factory and emergency workers, you know, looking to 
while Recover, you know, remains, they don't have to pass us either. So in the process of, we did actually have some really great people at the Maui Emergency Response that are petitioning to allow at least a limited number of workers to come to the factory just to, one, fill the orders so we don't have to refund all the people that have reached out to help with online orders, but also to, you know, keep things operating. So it's, it's bad enough to lose your home or your community and everything else, but, you know, uh, we do employ 25 people. So to try to keep the business afloat so that when the dust settles, I'm not sure that's maybe the right term, but that people do have uh, a job to come back to. Yeah, well, hopefully we can sort out all these things uh, shortly, but um, at least yours is um, a, a good news story. You know, what you thought was lost was not, and uh, and that hopefully... Um... Yeah, I think we have good optimism that, uh, you know, we survived the pandemic. I mean, we opened our retail shop almost on the eve of the pandemic, and we, we rode through that. You know, we survived the 2018 firestorm, as Gunners likes to call it. And so, you know, this is um, extreme, but, um, you know, we are trying to, like I said earlier, look at the bright spots and have optimism and think we're survivors. Yeah, we, we have to count our blessings. But thank you so much, Dan. I appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you, Catherine. That was Dan O'Doherty, Vice President of Maui Kuia Estate Chocolate. He was scheduled to return to Maui from Oahu today. Godspeed. We are glad to share a bit of positive news, a bright spot, as we close out the hour. Again, while 100% of company profits go to Maui Nui uh, Charities, a portion of the sales going forward will go to help Malama Maui in its recovery efforts. Well, that does it for us today. Tomorrow, we plan to hear from the Small Business Association about what companies need to know in the weeks and months to come. Share your stories about the wildfires. Uh, still looking for family and friends? Call our Talkback line, 808-792-8217. Email us at talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. You can also find the Conversation Podcast on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you tune in. I'm Catherine Cruz. Join us tomorrow for more of the Conversation.